0: Welcome to another episode of the Hat Collecting Talk Show, where we talk about the many different metaphorical hats that people wear in their lives, because no one does just one thing and everyone has a story. I am your host, Lacey Artemis, a creative Jill of all trades, and I am thrilled and honored to be joined today by Sherry DeNovo. Uh, how are you doing today, Sherry?
1: I'm good. I'm good. I, You know, after, uh, you know, climbing another steep techno curve, uh, I've, uh, you know, we're good. I'm here. I see you. It's, it's fabulous.
0: <laughs> yes, we were. Uh, we had the fun of spending about half an hour making it uh, so we could both hear each other. So that's. Um, but I have a bio for you. I usually say that before I say hello. But Sherry DeNovo is a minister with the United Church of Canada's Center for Faith, Justice, and the Arts. She is the host of the Radical Reverend, a weekly radio show, and a former member of provincial parliament for the New Democratic Party of Canada. Uh, Sherry performed Canada's first same-sex marriage and passed the most LGBTQ bills in Canadian history as an MPP. And Sherry's pronouns are she and her for the listeners. Um, I have an audience on YouTube, and this also comes out as a podcast for people who can't watch, so I have to try to remember to describe certain things. (laughs) So I'm just going to do a quick land acknowledgement. Uh, We both currently live in Toronto. Toronto, or Tecoronto, is located on the traditional unceded territory of the Mississaugas of the New Credit First Nations, the Huron-Wendat, and the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, and the Anishinaabe this is a dish with one spoon territory uh, one spoon treaty territory and we are uninvited visitors on this land and you can find more about that at native-land.ca um, i'm sure you've probably done your fair share of those as well in your work
1: <laughs> absolutely absolutely um, and it, i wish that uh, governments when they do land acknowledgments would actually do land acknowledgment <laughs> <laughs> so a shout out to 1492 Land Back Lane and the Mi'kmaq in Nova Scotia and Wet'suwet'en in BC and their struggles all with government. Anyway, just saying, just saying.
0: No, absolutely. I'm glad that you brought those up. <laughs> um, so obviously you can't cover all of these things uh, each time, but I do try to make an acknowledgement Um, Apologies to the listeners. I have a bit of an echo in my headphones that I can't figure out. So it's throwing me off a little bit, but I'm trying to work through it. (laughs) Um, But the question that we usually start with on the show is uh, kind of how you got into the things that you're currently doing. And I know you're not currently an MPP anymore, but I'm curious how you got into that as well.
1: Sure. Uh, Well, I I started off, uh, well, I didn't start off as a United Church minister. I mean, I wasn't baptized until I was in my 30s. Um, but uh, I was a United Church minister. That's where I did the first legalized same-sex marriage in Canada, and then I was asked to run. I never really considered it. I've always been a social justice activist, obviously, but I never even thought about actually running for political office. Um, I kind of voted NDP by default, but considered myself the to far to the left of the party most days. Um, and uh, so I thought about it and uh, finally said yes. Uh, so that's how I got to be a member of provincial parliament. And after 12 years and four elections and getting a whole lot done, I thought, you know, I've kind of, I've done as much as I can do here, I think, at this point, and left. And, you know, looking at the current government, I think my timing was just right. Uh, So then I looked around for what job comes next, and... uh, Trinity St. Paul's Center for Faith, Justice of the Arts on Bloor Street at Spadina, had a long history of inclusion, first of all, which is the only reason I walked into the United Church in the first place, because they were dating openly gay and lesbian folks since 1988. And Trinity St. Paul's predated that in terms of their inclusion. And they also had this sort of multifaceted approach, which I really liked. Um, And they like me. So that's where I am. And I've been there for three years
0: since election. And uh, just uh, the radio show as well, since I did oh, touch on yeah.
1: that. The Radical Reverend. Well, the Radical Reverend has been on the air, you know, to over 20 years now. Um, it changed a little bit when I was in political office to, I called it three women for a while. There for a few years because we focused on having three women with three, you know, varying degrees uh, of difference Politically talking about issues. So that was a lot of fun. And then when I left politics, I went back to the radical reverend format, it gave me a little bit more freedom. Um, so now we have a law and disorder panel. We call it with lawyers. We have left, left or leftist, which is our political panel. We have a faith panel with a Muslim, a Jew and me. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and then we have an extra show that I deal with all sorts of different issues, depending on what's topical. So that's really the format of the show and it's podcast too on SoundCloud iTunes and all the usual platforms.
0: That's really cool. I actually didn't even know about that radio show until this morning, so I'm going to have to check it out for sure. <laughs> what would you say are the biggest misconceptions about each of those things?
1: Sure. Okay, so being a radio show host, I guess, is the most understandable for people. I mean, it's it's just a lot of fun. I love the medium. And uh, and it's it's great to kind of interact. We've had almost everybody on the show. We've had the deputy prime minister. We've had Christopher Freeland. On we've had Christine Elliott, deputy premier. We've had Sandy Hudson, founder of Black Lives Matter. We've had a whole lot of people on that show, um, and so that's been really cool. Um, and that's I think pretty straightforward. Uh, being an elected member and being a politician is a whole other thing. Of uh, and so I have I- a book coming out in March. Just want to shout out, called The Queer Evangelist, um, which is a a memoir uh, in which I talk in detail about what it was like to be in politics. Um, The sad reality is that it's about getting reelected, you know, it's about winning. But I mean, having said that, you can still get something done. Now, I'm a drooling old socialist. So like, I'm to the left of whatever's happening in government. And really have prob- a real problem with capitalism. I think we we can't save the planet under capitalism, so we we have to. And no political party is set up to do that right now in North America, so we're stuck. But having said that, um, at least within the the parameters, like right now, vote Trump out by all means. Right now, I would say vote for as left as you can get, um, and then work to you know get stuff done. So so I'm I'm kind of you can do both. You don't have to eschew the entire political system to be effective. And also you don't have to put all your eggs in that political basket either. Um, but really gets things done and change are activists on the ground, people like yourself and others who do the kind of grassroots pressure on politicians because everything I did, I did um, representing that voice. Uh, So, I mean, that voice can be incredibly powerful and it's a really good thing to do. And then being a minister is the thing, I guess people least understand these days. (laughs) Like how could any, I used to think, how could any person with any brains like sign on to any of this nonsense? Like, what is it all about? And I I always wanted to ask those questions if somebody was too embarrassed. so people ask them of me. But uh, yeah, I mean, I the problem with being a political activist and a social activist is that you're beating your head against a wall. And usually the head gives before the wall does, um, you know. Uh, so so the great thing about faith communities is is we kind of in progressive faith communities, um, we kind of model what. That world would look at like now. So you've got a whole bunch of people trying to make that world happen right now. So looking after each other, you know, providing for each other, um, and also yelling at the world outside if they're doing their job and trying to get it to. You know, shift. Um, so that's the joy of being in a faith community is that it's kind of um, pie today rather than pie tomorrow. Um, and also, I, I just felt that there was an incredible need to combat toxic religion that. Um, Hashtag the Christian right is neither that Christo fascism is a real force in the world as is uh, its corollaries, you know, uh, as are its corollaries in and uh, Islam and in Judaism and every other faith. So, um, so on our faith panel and with Radical Reverend, I try to highlight those voices because they don't get air often, um, about what does it look like to be a person of faith and not be an idiot and not be right-wing and not be homo transphobic and, you know, all of those things. And uh, amazingly enough, there's lots of that out there. It just doesn't get airtime. So that I thought was really important to do because that undergirds politics too, um, as you can see in the United States now very clearly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you for all of that. Um, so the next question on the list, uh, regular listeners and viewers will know that I go through a series of questions here. I've made a few slight tweaks because Sherry is my first, uh, I call, elder guest. I am planning to interview more people who are of an older generation and even younger generations. Do you remember what you wanted to be or do when you grew up?
1: Yeah, I, I think I... <laughs> I think I want it to be, um, I remember, um, oh, what was it called? It'll come to me. But anyway, I remember there was a TV show about a psychologist and his wife. And I always thought it would be cool like to be a psychologist and just kind of listen to people's problems all day but more more than that I just saw being a kind of urban professional like I I like the idea like dressing like an urban professional I mean I, we're talking little kids stuff here right um and so there was that my mother wanted me to be like a movie star and my dad wanted me to be a politician so I really lived into my dad's fantasy haven't I? <laughs> um, But I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, kids. And then when I was older, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. So I was a street kid for many years. I lived on the street in Toronto when I was a teenager, um, like a lot of queer kids do. Um, and when I got myself back to school, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer, but then I took a pre-law course and it was so deathly boring um, and probably took the wrong one, obviously, um, because there's nothing boring about law now I see. But, um, but back then I did. I, and, and so I just, couldn't see doing four years of it and did philosophy and actually a minor in psychology too. Um, and then I went on later to do my master's of divinity and theology and then a doctorate in, in that as well. So at U of T. So that's my uh, educational background.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the reason that I asked that question is because I'm interested in the idea of the things that because a lot of kids seem to have similar ideas of what they want to do. And then it's like how often they actually end up doing those things. And so it's been a it's been a mix of my guests so far. And I'm really curious to just get a, a string of answers and see how they all compare. But on that same kind of line of thinking, there's this common cultural narrative that we're supposed to have everything figured out by the age of 30, which is not true for most people. And so I wanted to ask you, um, where were you at at the age of 30, yeah? So, I mean, a,
1: a big chunk of my life, which I haven't spoken about, was so when I left university. I was just looking for a job like most kids, you know, and a university degree was almost as useless then as it is now, like a general one. So I got a job with a headhunting firm, affectionately called headhunting, but, you know, recruiting firm um, and found I was really good at sales. Well, I, you know, I used to be on the street and was drug involved, so I knew what sales looked like. This was just legitimate sales. So I here I am, you know, selling legitimately. um, And it was a mainly, uh, you know, woman based firm. And I, I kind of figured out, uh, so this is leading up to your question, I kind of figured out that uh, that why should I give them like 50% of my income? I knew what the commissions were. I knew what my clients are paying. Like, why should I share it with this multinational corporation? Um, so, I mean, I, I did what a lot of entrepreneurs do. I left and hoped that my clients would follow me into my own firm. So I did that. So when I was 30, I started my own firm with a $5,000 loan and built. Half a million dollars. My first year with a desk and a phone. So for a while, I was making a whole lot more money than I've ever made since um, uh, running my own firm. And it was a headhunting firm. We only hired women, and we placed mainly we placed everybody, but mainly in public relations, marketing, um, advertising were our major areas, uh, and try to get women like out of uh, administrative, secretarial kind of work and into management. That was that was kind of the aim, but uh, we did really well and kind of rode an equity wave there. In the this is late 80s, early 90s, and then a recession hit. Um, so that's why I got out of that business. But for a while there, that's what got me into church. Actually, bizarrely enough, is that I was making a whole bunch of money. I had a big house in the suburbs, swimming pool, and the Mercedes in the driveway. And I it dawned on me that my moods were completely in line with the amount of money that I was billing and that seemed like a very shallow way of living. Um, and, uh, and I was always a social justice activist, so I, I felt like I just wasn't doing what I should be doing and wandered into our local church at that point that had a whole speaker series on the Iraq invasion um, and, uh, and and got kind of involved politically and, uh, and spiritually through that. And then when the recession hit, I thought, yeah, great. It's an opportunity because I don't want to go back to like having to start the company all over again and do twice as many, you know, have twice as many clients to do half as much business. And this is an opportunity to go back to school. And that's when I went back to do my master's. i just kind of been burning off equity ever since. <laughs> so that's that.
0: Yeah. So like another way that I've framed that question as well is like, if, if, you weren't like kind of at a certain point at 30 at what age do you think you had sort of found the path that you th- thought was right for you and that you started to actually follow oh
1: wow not until my 40s like the 40s are a great <laughs> age like I know that a lot of your listeners aren't even remotely there yet but I'm telling you 40s is where it's at because um I think you kind of get your your together if I can say that um I can't say that on a radio that's why I ask um in your 40s like it sort of somehow all comes together like all your experimentation everything you've figured out like you kind of it settles down a little bit and you're still you're young you're young in your 40s you know so so there's still a lot of time and people think that's old, but it's not like you still have a lot of time to do things um and uh, yeah, and you and you know enough to be able to make the right calls, I think, by then. So I'd say 40s are a pretty great era. But I think every era has been great. I certainly wouldn't want to go back to my teens and 20s. Like those were, those to me were really hard eras. Looking like I, I don't even know who that chick was anymore. Like I look back on some of the stuff she did and think, what? Like I, I don't even. Some days I don't even like her. <laughs> So, you know, now I I, I I feel sorry for her and appreciate her and can, I can hold her and just like, a, you know, you hold your little child occasionally, but, but yeah, like she was weird. So I'm, I'm, I, I wouldn't go back to that era. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's interesting how you mentioned, because I know when I was like a teenager that I thought like 40 seems so old and that's how old my parents were. And now I'm in my, the latter half of my 30s and Sometimes I feel a bit old, other times I'm like, no, not even close. And um so I'm I, and I, I just feel like now in my mid thirties, I am just finally hitting the track that I'm like, I'm on the right track now. So yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. I mean you're you're just the best is yet to come, Lacey, the best is yet to come, all I can say.
0: Yeah. And people have asked me, like, kind of why I started this show and it really did kind of the, the the seed of it was this idea of, you know, you're supposed to have things figured out and I want to get messages out for you know younger people so that they know, like, oh, if they think that they haven't accomplished certain things by 30, that it's too late and they're screwed. And it's like, no, you're not like hear from all these people. And yeah, <laughs> I remember
1: thinking I if I didn't accomplish things by the age of 21, I was screwed. Like I remember that like every age you think that's true and every age is not true. Um, and you know, you can choose not to get old. Like that's a choice, right? I mean, it, it really is. Like sometimes I shake my head at people who who are like old as dirt as me and think, who the hell are these people? Like, I don't feel that different, you know, mentally or internally as I did when I was, you know, in my thirties and had my finally together kind of thing. Um, but I mean, yeah. I, but I remember always thinking every decade, thinking, "Oh, I've lost. Like I'm. It's over the hill now. Like I've, I can't do it." And it's so wrong. I mean, it's that's crazy thinking, right? Like you live until you die. <laughs>
0: yeah. So uh, again, these these questions are um, organized in a in an order for a reason. And so one of the new ones that I'm adding for this case is. Um, what would you say or what do you think is the biggest misconception about elders in our society
1: that um uh, oh like that they don't uh, i don't know like when i thought of my elders when i was young um i thought uh, these people have no idea about sex like they never enjoyed sex, you know, they, they had no idea about raising children. And then I had two of my own, <laughs> you know, uh, they had no idea about anything like, well, I, you know, I was part of that rebellious generation, you know, like I, like we thought over 30, you're just a sellout and you're, you're doomed. Um, and we just saw, and you know, and, and it was the era too, but it's still that era. Like, it's still the same in many ways. Um, we just had very great misconceptions and sadly like stereotypes everywhere sadly some of them are true right i mean now i look around at some people my own age and i think the same things i thought about them when i was 20. um uh so it's about you it's not about categories like it's not about how old you are it's about who you are and you can be who you are at any age or you can get old and forget about who you are, or you can cease to learn new tricks. Like oh, I just learned how to get on this new platform. Yay. You know? So, I mean, you can still do that. You can learn no matter what age you are. And I think sometimes people just give up, like they just get tired and give up and at every age and that's too bad. So don't do that. Um, don't do that, just keeping you until you can't, you know, and even if you develop a disability or your body gives out or something happens, which happens with, you know, your body finally degenerates. We're human. Um, You still don't have to give that. I have 92 year olds in my congregation now who are cool and funny and all there, witty, smart, queer and out and have been out forever. I mean, like, so it's not about, that um and some of them are a lot younger than some of the 30 year olds and the 40 year olds do you know what i mean like so it's about being you
0: absolutely and speaking of technology that is actually the next question um because i know that there's another like cultural narrative that old people are, are like luddites they're afraid of technology they they don't know how to use it they have to have their grandkids teach them um so I know that obviously technology wasn't as prevalent when you were younger. Uh, I'm curious how, um, like how much you use it now and like what you would say in your mind are the biggest upside and biggest downsides of technology.
1: Sure. Um, Well, first of all, I was thrown into it with politics and have been on it. I mean, as you can tell, because we met through Twitter. Um, I mean, we met before, but um, I'm on social media a lot um, and um, I love social media and I love technology now and I'm still learning and I'm still, you know, in comparison to many, still a bit of a Luddite, but I, I, I can do everything I need to do. Let's put it that way. Um, and I'm not frightened of it at all. And I'm not frightened of learning new stuff. Um, and again, in my congregation, I've got a 92 year old who's on zoom who joins our zoom coffee hours and things from, um, from her from her residential care unit um so there you go um but i think so so the advantage is huge i mean look at the pandemic if we didn't have uh you know if we didn't have computers and we couldn't reach each other online i mean what a world difference that would make especially as the weather gets colder and things and we're really locked in so it's a huge blessing um uh, I, I wish it was owned publicly. I wish we didn't have tech giants uh, who are raking in billions and not necessarily have, don't necessarily have our best interests at heart. So I think, you know, that has to be looked at, but, but I mean, there's no, you can't exist without it. And so it's kind of like air and water. Um, how is it different? Like when I grew up, you know, in a sense, now you work all the time. So now that we're all working from home more or, Totally. Uh, we're working all the time. Um, and so I remember the days when you would kind of leave the office. You know, this sounds so so like 19th century or something, but when you would leave the office and go home and all you could do were make phone calls. Like so there was no other way of contacting. So basically you're off work, like you were, you know, so there was kind of work and then there was the rest of your life. And now, I mean, hopefully you love what you do because Otherwise, like it just kind of bleeds into everything. So it's kind of almost like an ankle bracelet. You know, if you were like locked at home, you know, and a prisoner, like you can't not be on it. So that can be that can that can you, you gotta have to monitor that somehow. I haven't figured out the answer to that. I don't think anybody has, but but you know, I mean, so that's the difference is is that they used to, like, sort of go home. But, you know, then we watch TV all the time. So, like, it's not like it was that much better. <laughs> so screens are screens, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, yeah, you made lots of great points there. Uh, you're giving, like, multiple answers for each question, which is great. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, all, all the uh, the wisdom and the experience just flown out. <laughs> Um, So the next question here on my list, and this is kind of a new one specifically for someone with uh, more life experience, Um, what skill or practice that's like no longer as common or longer taught do you think should be brought back or should be given more attention again? Hmm. That is interesting. Um
1: Like nothing jumps to mind, which is pretty good news, right? Like I think Things are, I think by and large, everything's better now. Can I say that? I mean, um, yeah, we're dealing with a pandemic and, you know, insanity, but we were always dealing with something like I thought I was going to die before I was 20 because of the nuclear bomb. So, you know, um, every generation has thought their generation is going to be the last generation for one reason or another in some way, shape or form. Right. So so that kind of existential fear has always been there. Um, I think everything's better now. I mean, I would not want to go back to that era. I mean, it was ridiculous.
0: Like, I guess those things I was thinking, things like cursive, or maybe, like, I think when I was in high school way back, there was still, like, a cooking class, like, uh, or financial planning things. Well, but, but I mean,
1: cooking classes were like, I used to laugh all my way through them because I was like this budding queer feminist, right? But I mean, now I think back to my cooking class more than most of the things I think back that I learned in school, you know, like I th- the only difference was that they should have made boys and girls do it, right? Like I wish I'd had shop. Like I wish I knew more what to do with my hands when things screw up, like, you know so like those kinds of practical things are great like they actually you carry those forward um cursive who cares i mean who cares i mean and and really like we all have calculators and computers now like who who cares about a lot of that stuff is kind of a waste of time now it seems to me so i don't miss any of that um but yeah it would be nice to Teach, um, in terms of kids, what they should learn is—I I don't know—learn how to be revolutionaries. That would be a good thing to teach kids. Like, learn how to be activists. Learn how to say no, and learn how to like put your weight behind your your voice and and get politicians to do what you want them to do. And yeah, that that's a really good thing because if we're gonna save this planet. We we all gotta be Greta's, right? So yeah, be pissed off. I love that you do this show. This is great. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Yeah, I've had a few people uh, compliment it. And it's, I kind of originally conceived it in a little bit of a different form, but it got delayed by the pandemic. And that was for the best because it came to be something so much better. Uh, And like I said, I'm really excited to interview more elders and like teenagers Mm -hmm. and just try to get a really wide range of perspectives. So another cultural narrative that I like to uh, push back against on this show is this idea that once we grow up and we're adults, that we're not supposed to be silly and goof around and things like that unless we're playing with our kids. But being playful and silly is an uh, essential part of the human experience. So I like to ask my guests what was the last playful or silly thing that they did on purpose? So
1: the last silly thing that I did that was fun was my daughter, who's an adult, um, but she happens to be staying here. So after a long day's work, we would like put on my tunes. It's the only tunes that we got, right? My little compilation tunes. Um, they're mostly funk and there are lots of prints. And, you know, like, so you get where I'm coming from. And um, and have like a little dance party in the living room. <laughs> I just put on like dance music. Now there's some wine involved. Yeah. And maybe other things, but, but I mean, yeah. So just like dancing uh, in, in the living room. And I, I suspect we're not alone in that, in this pandemic. I suspect there's a lot of indoor dancing um, that's happening, um, you know, without a lot of other people around. So I guess that's the last silly thing I did. I mean, although it doesn't seem so silly, it seems kind of cool now. I,
0: and I'm just thinking, I'm thinking, okay, maybe tonight. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no wrong answer. I've had people say just wearing mismatched socks. I can't talk. (laughs) Mm. Mismatched socks, which, again, seems like a very simple thing, but it's still silly and playful. And, um, like, I also, I used to be a lot more serious, and I still have my moments. But, uh, yeah, I've realized as an adult that still being able to play and and have fun and obviously not at the expense of other people, but just, you know, innocent stuff to make you kind of laugh, and laughter is a great medicine. So, it's something that I definitely encourage and many of my guests have encouraged. Absolutely. Uh, uh, so the next question here is what is the last new thing that you learned, whether it was like a piece of information or a skill and what is something new that you would still like to learn? Same thing, skill or information.
1: Sure. Well, it's almost all technology these days, right? You know, I download zoom and like a lot of other people all of a sudden I'm on zoom all the time. Um, and just, you know, kind of silly things like these are not hard big learning curves or anything but but I mean just you know how to do more things on the computer than I ever did before so I guess that's huge learning um but every week I do because I'm clergy so every week I do a sermon and, and one of the things I love about that is there's a scriptural passage that I mean I don't have to use it but we tend to follow along and all churches use the same passages um, and so I look at them and so I I look at, okay, so what's the history behind this? What does it mean? Do I like it? Do I hate it? What does it say? What's happening in the news? So kind of Bible in one hand, newspaper in the other. Um, and so every week I'm learning something. Um, uh, yeah. So this Sunday is Remembrance Day. So it's like, what do you do with that? Like, what do you do with that? That's progressive, you know? Um, And as a politician, I would go to all the ceremonies. Um, And I think they're there for a reason. I mean, I think um, certainly remembers the first world war, like millions of people died hideous deaths. But then you think, you know, we started this program with the land acknowledgement. There were some I discovered. So I learned something new through over 34 million. And this is the median because they don't really know for sure. But some 34 million people were, Uh, Indigenous were killed uh, with the colonization of the Americas. So think about that, 34 million, almost the entire population of Canada was killed, about 28,000, about 2,800 kids we know of uh, were killed in residential schools here, died in residential schools. Um, So when you start thinking about remembering um, kind of the deaths that have happened in the past over wars, um, uh, yeah that was pretty gruesome one. So, so it gives me a chance to highlight that, but also to investigate and to do research. So every week I get to do that and that's, that's fun. So it keeps you, keeps your marbles, you know, marbling.
0: Yeah. I like that phrase keeps your marbles marbling. (laughs) Um, Yeah, like, uh, obviously, doing this show, I get to learn new things all the time. And, uh, you know, years ago, I used to run a blog, which was just literally every time I learned something new, I would make a post about it, because I just love learning. And I love sharing what I learn. And Uh, I used to do a podcast years ago as well where I was interviewing people specifically about their jobs. So I like doing this a little bit more broadly because I can get more uh, different kind of perspectives on things. But, um, yeah, I definitely am going to be a lifelong learner. And people who are naturally curious, this is the show for them, I think. (laughs) Um, So the next question might be a little bit more of a uh, get your marbles really marbling um it's kind of a two-parter so i i like to ask my guests normally what are their two most dissimilar hats and hats being uh skills or interests and i'll start with that one first
1: sure okay so dissimilar hats well i guess you know i'm i'm sort of known for being a social justice activist especially in the queer community but not only there and lots of other um forums too um but what is most similar to that, that a lot of people don't know about me. And it's kind of sadly on hiatus now. And plus, you know, there's financial aspect, but I love vintage clothes, like designer vintage and getting a good deal. Like I'm all over <laughs> that, that on that. And I know all the shops I'm in and out of them in Toronto, like just because it's that rare find, you know, it's like, it's the kind of sideline hobby. So, yeah, it's so that's fun. That's really, really fun. That's something so dissimilar that people don't know about me and my normal day jobs and what I normally spend time doing.
0: One of the other sort of unexpected benefits of this show is when when a guest brings up something like, "Oh, I really like that too," and uh, going to thrift stores is something I, I do on a fairly regular basis. And I suspect, uh, like you, um, like as I said, I'm a very naturally curious person, and I find going into uh, like whether it's a clothing store, a bookstore, a music store, a music instrument store, like I just, I get this like childhood wonder of like, oh, that's cute. That's, that's shiny. That's nice. I want to try that. And it's, it's kind of a blessing and a curse sometimes (laughs) almost. Yeah. So the other half of this question is what would you say are your favorite and your least favorite hats that you've had to wear in your life?
1: Um, Metaphorical hats. um, Yeah. Well, I'm, mom i'm parent i'm even though my kids are adults i'm um you know uh social me i'm on social media having fun um stirring up um i'm in church uh, i'm burying and marrying people i'm um taking calls i'm looking after people who are shut-ins and who are in despair um and i'm you know, pounding at the doors of government always, um, to get them to do something. Um, and yeah, I'm doing all of those things. So that's a lot of hats, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And again, that's why the show is kind of named and themed this way. Cause like everyone does do different things, uh, even specialists. So uh, I like to try to draw those less, uh, less seen or less heard of, uh, sub hats that people wear. Um, so yeah, you've kind of mentioned mental health earlier. That's another thing that we like to talk about on the show because it's very important. Um, we all have a mental health and a lot of us do spend pretty much our whole lives managing it. Um, so I like to ask my guests, uh, whatever they're comfortable talking about, um, what mental health struggles or any physical disabilities that they've dealt with and how they've worked through them. Sure.
1: Um, well, I've had um, dark dog days, for sure. I wouldn't say that I've ever had a clinical depression, but for sure there are dark, dark dog days. I, I think that if I if I were to be diagnosed, and I have a lot of issues sometimes with diagnoses and with the psychiatric world, but um, certainly I would be a kind of high anxiety person more than anything. Um, I think that I always feel propelled, you know, into stuff. Um, and uh, I used to laugh with Peggy Nash, who was our MP at the time. And we would be asked this, you know, what motivates you question? And I would always say the man running behind me with an ax, you know, that was my image, because from being a street kid and like always being kind of, you know, my own provider and then provider for kids and, and everything, I always felt this pressure, um, and I don't want to make that sound more unruly than it is, but it is there. Like I don't sleep much on a good time, but I've just, that's just part of who I am and um, I'm used to that. Um, but, but I mean, I, I think that would probably, I mean, I think if I probably walked into a psychiatrist office and give me a drug for that, I'm not going to do that, but um, I, I, have managed it. Let's put it that way. I managed that level of anxiety yes I do and I think I'm not alone I know there are a lot of people out there who manage levels of anxiety and I think there is a biochemical part to that for sure I don't want to dismiss that um, I know my daughter is, you know has is very can be very anxious and so clearly that's something that runs in our family too um, yeah and I when I was a street kid and I was involved with drugs I very quickly got, that um, the drugs that I learned I really liked um, were very dangerous, and that I would probably end up dead if I kept doing them. Primarily, the drug among them, big methadrine. Um, and so I stopped. Now I was lucky, right? Because again, there's a genetic component to addiction issues, and um, I was just one of those lucky people that was able to do that um, and you know still survive. Um, and not, I there wasn't any help there that i was aware of for kids back then um so i just kind of stopped it and went on with my life but i know that's not that's really difficult for a lot of people and again that's kind of a genetic blessing that i was able to do that but um i i did also get that i could easily have gone down that route um and the same with alcohol the same with everything and i've always like known kind of somewhat of a limit you know to To doing something that could be ultimately damaging so um but i'm very very keenly aware of of the 12 steps it's very christian based organization um and think that it's an incredible um it's an incredible spiritual pathway i actually think you know when i did get involved in it for a while um that 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 everybody should do it (laughs) Whether you have an addiction or not, um, everybody should be looking at themselves. Everybody should be aware of what their bottom looks like. And everybody should be aware of um, taking, you know, all of that process of kind of talking to someone, of having group support. I mean, this is what faith communities do for each other, too. Um, So I think that's profoundly important for everyone, not just for people who have active addiction issues. So I would highlight that rather than um, in some ways I've had issues with the psychiatric world, like conversion therapy for one. Um, and uh, so it's like, you know, and electroshock therapy, which is still happening. Um, you don't have to go down that route, but um, but these are struggles I've had with psychiatric uh, institutions over my life. So I, yeah, um, I'd say find find your help, find group help if you can or find other help you know find someone who will help you um who doesn't rush rush to conclusions about you and um is there to support you everybody needs that
0: right yeah absolutely And I know I've talked about it on the show before. I try not to repeat Mm -hmm. too much from episode to episode, but uh, my main struggle is like I have dealt with depression and uh, I have been diagnosed with autism. I'm not diagnosed with ADHD, but I am convinced that I have it based on what I've read and my experiences. And so obviously with these things uh, and like a lot of my friends too and people I know like I don't know anyone really who doesn't have like compromised mental health so that's why i like to try to give it uh, a spotlight but talk about it in an honest and positive way or try to so thank you for for offering your answer on that um yeah so we're getting close to the end here um the next question i have on my list uh, i like to ask for advice and uh i've tweak this question over time. But now what I'm asking is um, what advice would you give to a teenager, to a 30 year old and to a, an elder, and it can be the same, or it can be different for each group. Sure. Um, Well, there was a saying
1: that's kind of gone out of vogue, but a kind of hipster saying, well, we didn't call it that, you know, back in the day, 60s, 70s, you know, let your freak flag fly. And I would say that's pretty good advice for all ages is, you know, whatever makes you different, whatever makes you stand out, whatever makes you abnormal, quotes, unquote, um, let that, you know, lead with that, like, be be that, you know, because um, why do we want to fit in in a world that is so profoundly dysfunctional? Um, So let your freak flag fly for sure. And the other piece for all ages, I think is just be courageous. Like, what have you got to lose? Like we, we live with such, here I am speaking about anxiety, but we live with such fear and anxiety. And that really is, you know, to use a biblical word, sinful, like, like we only have this one life. It's really limited. Um, so, so don't, um, don't hold back. Like, don't be afraid. Like what's the worst that can happen if you try something, if you do something, um, so I, I like to play the sort of worst case scenario. And it's kind of the same as the best case scenario. Like the two questions that everybody should probably ask themselves is what What would you do if you had like one month left to live, but your health, all your health to live it? Um, so there's, you know, the worst case scenario. But the best case scenario is what if you won all of money in the world? What if you won a lottery? Like, what would you do differently? And then the answer to those questions tells you what you should be doing. Like, do that, you know? Do what you would be doing if money were no object. Do what you you would be doing if you know you, were, you knew that your time was extremely limited on this planet. And um, and you're then you're probably going to be doing both courageous things and freakish things. <laughs> so yeah, that's it.
0: That's a great answer. And of course, there are no wrong answers on this show. So um, I, kind of a follow up on that one, flipping the script on a little bit. Um, what would you say is the the best or a really good piece of advice that you've received from someone younger than you?
1: Oh, truth. Um, just, just tell the truth to people. Like, don't be shy, right? Uh, you, and you can do it in such a way that you don't hurt their feelings. Uh, but it's like you're best friend is the one who tells you you've got egg on your shirt right like like your best friend is not the person who pretends you don't and lets you walk out there and wander around all day right um so so i i love it when when youth speaks truth to power which is usually older um but just tells tells me i like people telling me the truth about what they're hearing from me or seeing from me or what's going on everywhere um and not holding back i like that and even if it does like set does make you go a little bit you know like ow (laughs) eek you know um that's usually a good thing because then then you can kind of make those shifts and changes um which might need to be made otherwise you never know you just kind of wander blindly so yeah be truthful um i like I like uh, young people being truthful to power and to the to elders yeah, be truthful
0: yeah, no that's that's great again all the answers you've been giving have just been pretty gold i think <laughs> oh, thanks, um, yeah, um, so you've kind of covered already in some of your other answers some of the other questions that were here, so um I guess one that I've started asking in the last few episodes um, I've been giving the guests a chance to kind of flip the the spotlight back on me. And is there any question, whether it's one of the ones from the show or something else completely unrelated, that you would like to ask me? Sure. Um, why are you doing this show? Uh,
1: what you know? What got you into it? And and what do you hope from it?
0: Yeah. So it's it's interesting that this is a very common thing that people. I have been asked this a couple of times now. um, So, yeah, again, the short version is just I wanted to create something where I could uh, show other people like me who were kind of past 30 and felt like it was too late, that that's not the case, and that people who don't specialize, that's okay. You can still make a living uh, if you're kind of doing a few different things, and also that Everybody does do different things because like if you say, like, oh, what do you do? Be like, I'm an accountant. Well, what else do you do? Well, that's what I do. And like, well, what do you like? So I'm trying to just uh ask the right questions to get out the right uh information insights so that anyone who watches or listens to this will kind of get some uh maybe some more confidence or feel a little bit less alone or get some, uh, just the right piece of insight to be like, okay, that was the piece I was missing. Now I know what I want to do next. And that's cause they say, you know, make, make the art or make the thing that you wish existed in the world. And this is something I would definitely want to exist if I wasn't doing it. So, <laughs> uh, that's, yeah, I keep giving, I'm keep trying to find different ways to answer that question.
1: <laughs> it's a great answer. I love that answer.
0: It's a good yeah, thing. Thank so, you. um, thank you for asking. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I guess at this point we can do our, we'll do plugs before we do the uh, traditional sign-off for the show. So for people who want to find you online, stay up to date with what you're doing, get in touch with you, where can they do that?
1: Sure. Well, so my name, Sherry DeNovo. Um, so I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, uh, and I work at Trinity St. Paul's, uh, Center for Faith, Justice, and the Arts in Toronto, so you can reach me there. And um, and yeah, so that's all those things I'm doing. And in March, I'm coming coming out called The Queer Evangelist, uh, which is a memoir and uh, re-releasing a book. I won the Lambda Award for in Washington, uh, D.C. back in 2005. It was my doctoral thesis, Americanized, called Queering Evangelism. So uh, and I'm always happy to hear from anybody
0: yeah you're uh, you've been very responsive to me and and very like friendly so that uh, that was really nice and uh, I can tell that you definitely care. I knew that before anyways from the fact that you go to protests and you know stand up to bigots um, but I'm just really happy to have like I know I'm younger and I'm doing the grassroots stuff but you're still right to your kind of I don't want to say your last days but like you're um yeah, well don't hurt me along there Lacey but, <laughs> but
1: yeah. yeah yeah I hear what you're saying absolutely yeah. nothing yeah. that's what I'm saying nothing changes right like that doesn't change if you don't want yeah.
0: It. yeah yeah absolutely the only thing I found with that is like obviously um different people maybe different things will happen in their lives I'm not always able to go out and attend all the protests that I want to but uh you know if I can't do that as much then I try to do it more in other ways, and so that's why in this show I like to highlight Black Lives Matter and Indigenous rights and give every guest the chance to kind of uh, promote something of that as well. So,
1: yeah,
0: Absolutely.
1: Um, that's the problem with the pandemic. Just want to say um, mm-hmm. that I don't go to as many demonstrations either because literally it's not safe, and people that have compromised systems for whatever reason, age or youth or what, uh, any other reason, it's really tricky. Um, it's It's not really safe often. And, um, and so we do what we can where we are.
0: Right. Yeah. And that's another thing too, is that people think the, there's only like one, maybe, or if people do think there's only one way to protest, that's definitely not true. And, uh, you know, I've, I've heard, actually, this is another good question I should ask you. Um, cause I've heard that like signing online petitions, it's, better than nothing, but it's mostly kind of ignored. It's definitely more like powerful and meaningful to like call or write a letter or go in person. Um, Can you uh, lend any credence to that?
1: Well, I'd say all of the above kind of thing. Yeah. Sign the petitions um, but as they call it hack division, but, um, uh, 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 but I mean, do that, but here's what counts the most is getting um, your personal voice your representative's ear right because de facto that's a poll a poll and politicians are all about polling so if you um and everybody you know and i say this always to people for example online who have conservative mps or mpps and say oh they don't get back to me and then not just conservatives um but they say well they never get back to me i say don't worry about that just email them and you know we we used to as politicians we'd see um you know over issues we just count the emails. Like we wouldn't get back necessarily to people. There's no time in a day, but you see 20 emails on this topic a day or 15 that. So what you're doing is you're adding your voice to other voices around an issue. And the more voices they hear, the more they're likely to listen, because even if they don't get back to you, because it's a de facto poll. And especially if you live in their writing, remember, you're the one who's voting for them. So definitely use that, that voice Um, and you don't recognize how much power you have. I mean, we as politicians see that power, we feel it. Um, So you should too.
0: Yeah. So just to kind of finish off the plugs, I I have a bunch of stuff, so I'm not going to run through all of it. Um, But if you go to my website, ArtemisCreates.com, everything I do is there. Uh, I also have a book coming out. Actually, it's a fiction book though, um, that I've just almost finished writing uh, should be coming out in December. I have music uh, on like Spotify and iTunes and Bandcamp, and um, the, actually the Curiosity Guide series of eBooks uh, over since 2015. I've been curating and writing a series of educational eBooks. They're all PDFs. They're all available for free. If you go to curiosityguides.com, you can check those out, and uh, I would love it if people learned from those. And, oh, yeah, I have merch because I do some design stuff just as a hobby. So if you go to redbubble.com people slash Creates uh, or through my website, um, you can find that. A lot of the designs are, like, transgender and LGBTQ-centric, but um, there's a few other little bits in there. And, yeah, I have a, a Patreon, which is where I put uh, bonus episodes for the show, and I kind of provide updates for other things that I do. Um, and that's, I guess, kind of the gist of it. <laughs> Again, I don't want to, I don't want to like run too long with this part. So, um, yeah, so what we, what we normally do with this show to close off the main episode is normally myself and the guests, we put on hats, but if the guest doesn't have a hat, then what we'll do instead is we'll, uh, put on invisible hats. So, um, <laughs> uh, you can be any kind of hat that you want, <laughs>
1: it's hard it's like being in the mirror putting on a hat
0: yeah yeah i know the camera flips it it's Kind <laughs> of um because i do have a hat here but i feel like i don't want to be wearing one if you're not so i'll just Well, you uh, can see that i just put on like a yeah. like a like it's like a, like a fedora mm, like yes. hand-eye
1: coordination here yeah fedora <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> um yeah so that's uh what we do and it's just kind of a fun little sign off i think to Uh, again because if we were wearing hats the whole time I feel like it'd be kind of gimmicky so it's just kind of a way to say like we we got some serious stuff we got some silly stuff and uh, we're we're having a good time so thank you everyone for watching and listening and uh, again if you um, please check out Sherry online and uh, pre-order her book yeah uh, head over to Patreon if you want to check out the bonus content and uh, yeah, I guess I'll just take one last second to say that I'm still looking for other like elders and young people and people of different experiences to have on this show. I have a list of people who are uh, just trying to figure out the scheduling, but um, feel free to reach out to me at hatcollectingshow at gmail.com and i uh, will try to figure something out. But thank you again, Sherry. And thank you again to the audience for uh, joining us in this journey. So until next time, stay curious.